to From Believing to Being, a podcast about pursuing meaningful spirituality after faith deconstruction. We're your hosts. I'm Karen. And I'm Dave. We're two former evangelicals having an ongoing conversation about what life and spirituality look like after letting go of our religious beliefs. Join us as we discuss deconstruction, Christianity, mysticism, enlightenment, and consciousness, And most importantly, how to experience this new way of being in the midst of parenting, careers, and going about our everyday lives. If you've recently left your faith or simply feeling pulled into a deeper way of being, we hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you and really just reassure you that you're not alone on this journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Karen and Dave, back at you, back with you, I should say, and if you've been following us this long, you could probably get a sense that we don't really have any plan or agenda (laughs) with our podcast, but um, I just kind of meandering along the road of discovery or undiscovery, maybe, and anyway, the reason I say that is because we are... Um, officially ending the what we would call the first season. You know, we didn't have any season in mind, but um, you know, ending a season and then um, you know taking a little break for a month or so, and then we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do we'll review our podcast or or do a season two. I mean, and it'll just be about something else. Maybe about baseball or science. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not really, but you know, probably we, we not. Know, we know what a month could you, not baseball. I, I don't know anything about baseball. I don't even know why I said that. It just happened. Anyway, uh, nonsense aside. So, so yeah, so, you know, um, yeah. So what we wanted to talk about today, just kind of, you know, maybe a typical potpourri of topics, no, no specific topic in mind, but, but a little bit of just like a check-in to see, you know, it's been about a year since we, we started recording together. Um, having these combos and you know speaking for myself i'll say it's just interesting to reflect back and see how much different uh you know i i i engage with this stuff now than than a year ago um probably much thanks to these conversations that we have to be frank so for sure anyway so you mentioned this idea of powerlessness as one of the sort of percolating topics and you know i having had a history with with alcohol abuse and in and out sort of sort of not nothing like really regimented about a recovery program per se but familiar with the this 12 steps of aa kind of went through it a little bit and the powerlessness is one of the big ones right in aa you come to this admission that you are powerless over alcohol or other whatever the substance is if it's not aa 12 steps applied to whatever the addiction is. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, and it was, it's such a, it's such a kind of a liberate, it can be, I should say, a liberating thought to, to recognize that you are powerless over something. Like it can loosen up something within. So anyway, so when you said that, that's kind of what came to mind for me, but I'm curious what, uh, what your, I guess, experience has been with that word, that concept that's been percolating lately. So, it first came up because, so on Tuesday mornings, I am part of this book club with some other women, including your lovely Liz. 
And we've been reading The Wisdom of No Escape by Pema Chodron. And one of the chapters, she says something to the effect that you are the center of the world. And when the women in the group read that, one of them brought up the fact that it sounded really selfish. But to believe that you are the center of the world is, you know, seems to imply or the way that we think about it, that everything has to revolve around us, that we need everything to be serving us. And so we had this really good discussion about what she, you know, about the way that Pema Chodron was actually meaning it, but also around selfishness. And I had had this sort of realization before that selfishness is just almost like a way for someone else to manipulate you whenever your boundaries offend them, that the way that they try to break through your boundary is to say, well, you're being selfish. And that's like a way to push the boundary. Mm -hmm. So, So we had this really good conversation about selfishness. And then I started to think about people pleasing and other ways that we try to manipulate people to get them to do what we want to do. And people please, you know, so selfishness is one way to push at somebody's boundary. People pleasing is another way to sort of exert control, which is is almost more of like a false way to do it. But you know that if, if I behave a certain way, then I can get them to respond to me the way that I want them to respond, right? So I started thinking about this and in terms of different tactics that we use to control other people and to exert influence on them. And I'm now, so I had that in my mind, but then um, this last week in this other class that I'm doing on Tuesday nights, (laughs) we had this really good discussion about value and about the value of a person's life. And, And one of the women was telling me that you know, she's like, you have value. Um, Cause I was saying, I don't even, I don't even think about value anymore. Like I don't question my worth. I don't even think about those terms anymore, but she was sort of challenging that a little bit. And it was so funny because I had this moment where I thought if, where it was almost like she was wanting to test how much she could influence me. I don't think that she actually was, but this was just like something that clicked in my brain. And I thought, whenever you take a stance where you are no longer susceptible to somebody's influence, that's a very empowering position. Like when someone can call you selfish and it doesn't bother you, that's very empowering to the person who like that would be very empowering to the person who is experiencing that. But for the person who is trying to exert their control, their influence, they end up in this position of feeling very powerless. And one of the things where my brain was going with this was like, whenever you feel 
powerless and you recognize that calling someone selfish, people-pleasing, like, you know, bullying, bribing, whatever you're doing, whenever you realize that those tactics are no longer working on a person, that's a really hard place to be in, that feeling of, of powerlessness. And it's interesting because like you say, with the 12 steps, there can be a point, some point when you shift from where that being powerless over a substance goes from feeling like a failure to feeling like freedom. And I'm really interested in that because I feel like I have I have experienced that in other ways, but just as I thinking about it in terms of this power was something new for me. And so can you speak to that from, from the 12 step place of like how you go from feeling like that, you know, I'm powerless over this and not having that feel so much like a failure or something to be ashamed of, but allowing it to, to flow over into that place of freedom. I'm so curious about that from a 12 step point of view, because I think it speaks obviously to everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I can speak to it well enough from a 12 steps perspective because I'm, I'm far from an expert on it. I, I guess I just say it because I having spent even a little bit of time with those groups and meetings, it's talked about a lot, obviously. So you, they kind of, I don't want to say they beat it into your head, but like, it's, it's repeated enough that you just remember it. So I, I guess I can't necessarily speak to it from the 12 steps perspective, but I can speak to it from personal experience and in a couple of ways. And, I, and I, it's interesting how much it ties to other things that you and I have talked about, particularly this idea of seeking. So whatever the seeking is, right, we're seeking something else. And this book I actually just started reading, which I'll, you know, touch on maybe in more detail, but this, uh, you know, I, I realized that I should go back and, and join a recovery program. Um, you know, I've been sober now for years, but, but having been in therapy lately, I was just like, I don't know if I ever actually like dealt with what was causing the issues. <laughs> I just managed to stop drinking and, and I cleaned up my life in other ways too. But, but anyway, I was like, I think there's probably benefit in this. So I, I joined this um, now Buddhist recovery program and started started reading the book. It's called uh, Refuge Recovery, and it, it is actually a 12-step program as well, but 12 steps through a Buddhist lens. And and the the as I was reading through the beginning of it, it became clear that what he was what he the author was pointing to was that basically seeking seeking something other than what is is what fuels all addiction and it becomes an addiction once it sort of controls your life and so um, as that relates to the idea of powerlessness and how I interpret it through these lenses is it, it can to recognize that you are powerless over anything you know, whether it's the substance, whatever, it it serves to sort of 
deflate you. Be- and I think that the you is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. That that we we get this like the big ego? sense. Uh, just yeah, you could call it ego, or just because what is it? What is it that seeks something different? It is the you. It, the, the, there's this you that whether you call it ego, call it just identifying in general it's is there's this energy that wants something different and when we can come to recognize that there is this powerlessness around um managing that the other one of the other 12 steps is our life has become unmanageable it's sort of like this uh letting go but it's not like a surrender it's like uh it's like a backdoor surrender right we admit that we're powerless we admit that our life is not is unmanageable it's not like saying okay i give up it kind of is but it's sort of like more mm, an indirect pointing at the need to just let go and and stop seeking right and it's i've been thinking about this a lot lately and it's a little paradoxical because you know the very thing that leads people to abuse whatever it is, you know, drugs, alcohol is the main one, but, you know, people abuse food, people abuse screens and technology, like there's a ton of very subtle addictions. And the very thing that is leading them to that is a desire for something different. And so when you, uh, the paradox becomes is that when you want, um, by 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 simply wanting to rid yourself of the addiction, you're in some ways fueling it. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is really it, it, it's kind of a dangerous way to think. But again, that's where I think that those words and concepts are powerful, powerful, right? Because they sort of take a needle to the whole thing and just deflate it, and then sort of again the word I've used in the past destabilize almost like your your sense of reality in maybe a good way, so that you can then sort of rebuild maybe a healthier way of living that is just completely different. Mm -hmm. As you were talking, I just, something that you said, so there are two things that one, you know, in that, in that idea or acceptance of powerlessness, you give up the assumption or the expectation that you were supposed to have power over it anyway, right? That somehow we yeah yeah we develop an understanding that we should be able to exert control over things and and people, and maybe there's no distinction. I mean, obviously, like you can exert control over a car, right? Like you can you can drive, and that seems reasonable, but then we extend that out to everything without being discerning about what like, what level of control we're able to have. We sort of have an assumption that we can have the same amount of control over everything instead of recognizing. I mean, I think that's one of the areas, right, where parenting really comes in handy because you're like, oh yeah, I can control how much my baby sleeps. I can control how much they eat. <laughs> and then the baby's like, mm, sorry. <laughs> not gonna that's like the needle that that really deflates deflates that balloon um and then it's funny because something else you said 
you know, I had this question, um, like almost this time last year of who am I when I'm not trying to be somebody, when I'm not trying to be something. And just now something that you said, it's like the ultimate question, which is funny because my word for the year is trust, but how do you live when you're not trying to control everything? How do you, how do you sit in that space when you're not like, like, what does that look like? How do you live when you're not trying to control everything in your life and not trying to control the other people in your life? Hmm. It's like, that's the challenge, right? What is it like to live when you're not exerting control over everything? Well, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a brilliant question. And and perhaps that's the brilliance of some of these these programs. So 12 Steps, for example, was actually birthed out of a psychedelic experience. It's not often talked about. Really? But like the found, yeah, yeah, the founder, Bill Wilson, it, it, he co-founder. There was actually another founder. I don't remember his or her name, but yeah, Bill Wilson Allegedly, um, I'm saying allegedly because I've I've heard it in various ways, but I can't say that I've I've done the diligence to confirm it with absolute certainty. But but from what I, what I understand, it's, it's it's fairly certain. But anyway, that uh, Bill Wilson had he he experimented with psychedelics, and that led to a cure of his alcoholism, and then. Through that experience, he he created the twelve steps, and then it became sort of like a pseudo religious thing, right? Like there's a lot of Christian themes to it. But anyway, the reason I say that in the context of this idea of control is because it, we talk about like, well, how how do we live without control? How do we live without trying to control people? And I think what my understanding is with with things like psychedelics, with things like altered state experiences, and things like a program of of twelve steps, is what it's really getting at is more a sense of like that control isn't really there as much as you think it is anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's it's right. less about it's less about um, figuring out how to live without controlling other people or or circumstances or your environment. And it's more about coming to recognize that you actually don't have control in the first place. Right. Um, Yeah. Especially with, with, you know, reported experiences I've heard with psychedelics, like sometimes people will come back and say it was crystal clear, not in that respect of like, Oh, I had no control over my life. More of just like, what I thought was my life was not what I thought. What 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 I think of my life is is not what I thought it was before. And just this big big paradigm shift that one of the outcomes is like we don't control nearly as much as we probably think we do. Yeah, for sure, right? It's all just this false sense of control, and it's all geared towards what perpetuating perpetuating a sense of our identity, like validating mm-hmm. our existence a sense of, of safety, like a guarantee, right? If we can, Mm -hmm. if we can exert control, then maybe we can guarantee, you know, feel like we can guarantee a particular outcome, which makes us feel, which makes us feel safe. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it is just that recognition that there's not much that you can control. And I guess, you know, recognize, yeah, really recognizing the things that you can control. I mean, I always tell my kids this, I'm like, you can't control how other people are going to react or respond to the only person that you can truly can control or have any control over is yourself. And, but I realize that to some extent, even that isn't true. <laughs> you know, there's, there's lots of things that, that happen, you know, that happen in life where you feel like you, you know, I mean, reflexes, right. You can't control your reflexes. <laughs> there's, there's well, and the big one is, the big one is thoughts. Right. right. Yes. And, and yeah. that's something that Sam, Sam Harris touched on in, um, in, uh, waking up. Mm-hmm. I need to go back and read that section, but w- what I remember of it, cause I, I heard it referenced recently is basically that the studies that have been done around like sort of the, the control, this, this controlling part of your brain, so to speak, uh, the part of your brain that thinks it's controlling, I should say, uh, tends to take ownership over actions like nanoseconds after the action was already done so right like, yeah so if there's a part of your brain that like makes a decision there's this part of your brain that says i did that mm-hmm. so it, it, when you can really break down that like um we have very little control over our thoughts in general and like mm-hmm. what has gone into that like what do you call that like determinism uh, kind of that free will determinism paradigm um, yeah it, that then it really that's that's what's really broken it down for me is like oh like I have such little control over like what is even happening in my mind right. um, yeah it helps to break break down that sort of illusion of control so to speak mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I mean I you know our bodies are the same are the same way I mean there's some things that you can control but even that's a false that's a false yeah. sense of of control <laughs> that you know yeah. the things that are happening in your body are are actually something that you can decide. Um, yeah, you don't control your heartbeat. That's a big yeah. one. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, and it's that idea of like, well, if you pay attention to your breath, you know, you can have that sense of I am being breathed. Like this form is being breathed. It's not actually the form breathing. <laughs> Is being breathed. It's like such a trippy, such a trippy concept. Um, so I want to shift gears here just for a little bit because I'm, I'm, I want to talk about this conversation that I had this past Tuesday night about value, and just kind of get your thoughts on this. So I don't remember how it came up, but because oh, we were talking about beliefs, um, about beliefs that are hard to let go of. And I was sharing that one of the beliefs that it seems like it's really difficult for people to let go of, especially after they come out of some religious situation, but even other non-religious scenarios is the belief that we have a purpose in life, that we, um, that there is, you know, a reason that we're here and like the world needs our voice and that's why we were born in the time that we were because the world needs to hear what we have to say and all this kind of thing. <clears throat> and I don't, I mean, I don't even know, like, I don't know <laughs> whether that's true or not, but it just this concept that we have, you know, that we have to have some purpose and people are always looking for their purpose and wanting to know what their purpose is. And 
So we started talking about this and I brought up the experience that I have where it it's not even I don't even think about it anymore. I used to be all consumed with trying to figure out what my purpose was, what I was here on earth to do. And that has all fallen away. I don't I I don't think about it anymore. And so we were ta- then we got started talking about how um one of the women in the class said that as part of her job, whenever kids in these difficult circumstances come to her, she always reassures them and says, you know, you have value. Don't throw your life away. And so it brought up this concept of what is the value of a human life and are some are some lives more valuable than others? Like is a doctor's life more valuable than a mass murderer's life? And then looking back over the course of history, how the value of a person's life has changed. You know, we went from these medieval times where kings would just lop people's heads off, you know, for hardly any reason whatsoever, to now where, you know, we have these really intense conversations about abortion and the value of a, of a baby's life and in the womb, out of the womb, like the whole thing. And so we were talking about value and does a human's life have value? And then the question that I brought up was, does it even matter? Like, is the idea or question of value even relevant? Like if you're here on earth, like if your form is is here, does it matter whether or not there's value to it? Can you just drop the value conversation altogether and just be like, well, I'm here. It's a moot point. <laughs> like, I don't know. So it was, and you know, people got kind of bothered that I was saying, I I don't feel like I have a value, but I think I was actually saying it wrong. It's not that I don't see myself as having no value, but it's more like it it it, it doesn't even like I don't even think about myself in ter- in those terms at all. Like it, it's it's a non it's a non issue to me anymore. Um, or maybe that, you know, my, my value is whatever I want to make it to be. It's no longer dependent on what other people say. So I'm just curious, have you, have you thought about this kind of thing? Has it come up in any of the other circles that you're in? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, the idea of meaning and purpose and value comes up a lot. And you know, there, there's this accusation of nihilism sometimes. So I, I have a, I have a couple different perspectives here, um, to sort of sort of in line with with what you're saying. I think that the the trap that people fall into is is the in between of these two perspectives I'm going to share. Uh, and I'll say I think that's that's the trap. I I don't know. I I only know as far as I this brain will let me know. So uh, I I think. This, this theme that you and I have uncovered really well is this, call it existential humility that recognizes that everything is energy. And it's, it's all the same. Like there, there isn't a distinguish, when you get down to this, the, the base particle, fundamental particle level of everything, it's all the same. So, is there meaning and purpose to that? 
I don't think so. <laughs> I, I mean, it's literally just energy that has come together to create what I would say is an illusory experience. It's not to take anything away from the experience, but to me it's to say there isn't any inherent meaning and purpose to any of this. It just is happening. And, you know, people will, will call that nihilism, um, but, but my take on it is nihilism is when you're, when you're looking for meaning and purpose and you don't find it. Whereas I'd say this perspective is more of just a conclusion that says there is no inherent meaning and purpose. So that's, that's the first perspective. And the second one is sort of like what you were saying is that we can make our own meaning and purpose. And the, the, the analogy I had that came to mind is, you know, we're all kind of uh, film directors and, and the camera of our film is our eyes ears, uh, perceptions, and we can do whatever we want with that, right? There, there's clearly a desire inherent in this being for meaning and purpose, so create it. Um, and so I, I think that the, the, the hard part to be is when you fall in the middle there and you want meaning and purpose, but it's almost like you want there to be some grand existential universal purpose to your life and I, I think that that becomes a dissonance because it, when you think about things in the scale of the universe and yeah to find to find a connection between us as the individual being and that in like a connection of meaning and purpose I don't I don't think you're ever gonna find that which is to me kind of the fallacy of, of religion too is that they're they're seemingly finding that connection and purpose to some higher power, um, but then as as we know that that can really break down. Um, but then there's that freedom, right? That that's where I've that's where I personally landed is there's the freedom to do with this life whatever seems reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, f finding meaning and purpose, however. I should choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty much where, where I fall into, right? And it was funny because I was thinking about how <laughs> I'm really not a artsy, crafty person. And especially when it comes to the visual arts, I can see a painting or I can see something that is really that is really beautiful and I can, I can appreciate it, but there's nothing in me that wells up to make anything out of it. Like my, my son and I tried this new arts medium that involves what they call a jelly plate. And you can make these really cool designs on, on papers and just these really neat textured looking things on paper. And I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But it's like my brain just shuts down right there. I, I would have no idea what to do with that. But then 
when it comes to words, you know, I mean, I've written down sentences that struck me as incredibly beautiful. I find great joy in, in crafting a really great sentence. And so when it came to creating purpose or like, you know, in creating meaning for myself, I thought it's almost like, you know, where energy and what you're looking for actually is that place where you have some sort of energetic connection, that that is the meaning that we're going for. And it's like, that's what we look for in relationships, right? An energetic connection in relationships. We look for in a job and you can sense when a job is not like doesn't have that that energy, and you even mentioned it in the last po- um, the last podcast, like that synergy, right? And that that's kind of what we're looking for with it. Where's where where is the space where the energy that I am connects with the energy around something else? And for me, that energy there's very clearly some sort of like energetic connection with me and words that I don't have with me and crafting. (laughs) So I feel like that is part of the search for meaning is like, I want, I, you know, you want that, that connection there. Um, But we tend to think of it not in terms of energy, but in terms of something more specific, right? A very specific job, a very specific role, a very specific set of skills or, or something. But I think actually looking at it in terms of energy, is more helpful because then it can explain why you, I don't know. It feels like it can explain why you resonate with something that might not otherwise make sense for other aspects of your life. I don't know. It was just helpful for me to think of it that way. Yeah, totally. I, I love what you're saying here and it's, uh, synchronous in a way because I was two days ago I was actually thinking the exact same thing and (laughs) it brings into the conversation it brings into the conversation another thing that I wanted to talk about so also synchronous in that way but so Maslow's hierarchy of needs right um and you know I've been in this sort of journey lately in the last even uh, month or so which we've kind of talked about it I haven't talked too much on, on our podcast and you know it's 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 fresh and new and and out, out there sort of radical but like really that going I'll just say it this way going deeper and deeper into this what is it when I say I'm a, an individual what is what is the me that is even talking? And, and I remember going back to this Maslow's hierarchy of needs and sort of like tongue in cheek, sort of joking said, I just crossed out the top two. Oh, right. <laughs> said, yeah. You know, the, these are, these are not actually essential um, things. And it's just funny that, so I did that and I still, I still sort of resonate with that thought in a way um, for sure. But at the same time, it's interesting that it's unlocked for some reason it's unlocked uh, a deeper understanding of what that actually is getting at. Um, so there, the, there's self-esteem and then there's self-actualization 
Um, and what I hear and what you're saying is the self-actualization. And that's sort of the same thing I was um, thinking about just a couple days ago and in the same way of like, so there's this pattern of energy that people would refer to as Dave mm-hmm. that has thoughts, memories, and skills and qualities that are there. Like as much as we want to say that there's an illusory nature of the individual that can be debated. Sure. But what can't be debated is like, there are clearly patterns of energies that are manifest. Right. And so, yeah, I think that that to me is self-actualization is recognizing what are those patterns? What are they not? And, and how can we find it? Congruence was the word that came to mind for me is how can we find that congruence between what that like sort of natural pattern of energy is and the the doings of the person. And yeah, it, it, I love that. It's, it's funny that, you know, obviously you and I connected early on about writing, but I've been writing a ton lately. Um in different different avenues i've been like really active on on this uh online forum just like tons of just tons of chatting back and forth with people mostly just in the spirit of good fun um but i've also just had a notepad next to me a lot and i just start going and it's it's the same thing like and it's interesting like it's almost like the more i can lean into this congruence of the pattern of energy that loves words right as you say, and doing that, it's almost like there's more of a poeticness to it, right? Like I used to write, I used to write with purpose, like with an agenda to do something with that writing. (laughs) And now I really don't. I just, I just want to write and and just use words just, just for the sake of words being words. I saw, I I heard this song lyric. Oh my gosh. It actually connects. Uh, Let's see if I can find it. It was good music never refers to anything except the music itself. And Mm. I feel like that that's how I've been feeling about writing Mm is like good writing is just writing. It's just like you said, a beautiful sentence doesn't need to be anything other than a beautiful sentence. Yes. And I (laughs) I never it's it's really not until recently that I would have recognized that because I used to think that writing was a means to an end, you know, mm-hmm. but now I'm just like, ah, it, it, it's just beauty in and of itself. And, uh, it's just amazing how much that shifts the whole perspective. Mm-hmm. You know what, which kind of is an interesting tie in back to what we were saying about powerlessness is that, you know, in this, um, it was funny cause in this group on Tuesday night, we were also talking about an afterlife and how, mm-hmm. You know, and I said, when you drop the belief of an afterlife, it creates space for this life to be enough, for whatever this is, experience is to be enough. And it's it's yeah, just what you're saying, that when you drop the expectation or the need for writing to be something more or for music to, mm. to have a purpose – all of a sudden mm-hmm. it, it gives space for like whatever it is to just be whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing that with my kids, you know, I have 
been recognizing how you know the expectations and the assumptions and everything, the judgments that I have around what I want my kids to be like. And it's mm, funny that yeah. if you can drop, if you can walk those those things back and recognize them for what they are in yourself, that it creates space for your kids to be whatever they are, for you to be able to see them as they are. And, you know, and I think that kind of, you know, that speaks to that power dynamic that when you stop trying to exert control over people to influence them, to manipulate them, you're able to see them for what they are. And that's, I mean, that's kind of in a way that powerlessness point that's really difficult to accept because what it is, is you're forced to accept the truth of the situation. And maybe that's that the relationship that you're in is really toxic and unhealthy, that the person that you're trying to control is, you know, never going to be the thing that you want them to be, or the experience that you're trying to control just simply is not going to happen for you. And accepting that is um, it can be really, it can be really hard, but that was one of the things that, um, yeah, that you said that, uh, or made me think about that tie into the powerlessness, but, um, the congruence, you know, I, I love that word. And I like how you were saying where the natural patterns of energy kind of, uh, you know, fit with, with other things. And it's funny because so much of what we talk about is that before doing like uncovering some of these things, you can't actually know what your natural pattern of energy is because it's, mm. it's like, I think we even talked about this too in one of the podcasts, you know, that if we go back to that analogy of the river, that, you know, when we first come into this, or just like, as you get older, you know, you're your energy starts shooting out in all kinds of directions. Like everything gets, you know, all convoluted, whether it's by religion or self-help or just conditions that society puts on you or whatever. And you can't actually know that you're a river <laughs> you can't, or you can't, you know, you can't have that, um, have that sense of, of internal unity because these nat, you know, this energy is all spread out, and it's like your natural pattern of energy is a particular flow. But because your flow has been all diverted by all these different things, you don't sense it so much. And so, so much of what we're doing is sort of shutting or like releasing those other little rivulets of energy, releasing them until you can actually see, like, that's the deconditioning until you can actually see what your true pattern of energy is and allow that to be the flow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm going to get, uh, what's the word real pessimistic for a second here. <laughs> um, maybe real critical is, is another way to say it because pessimistic, maybe not. Um, because pessimistic maybe would would presume that I, I don't have hope for improvements, uh, which I do. But the criticism is is in the Western culture, and we think about there's two things that come to mind for me that 
I sense are a maybe a pervasive um, energetic flow in all beings, all human beings. Obviously, there's there's uniqueness to every single person. Yet, I, I think there's consistent patterns. And one that's been percolating a lot is this idea of community and call it maybe interdependence versus independence. And then the other one is creativity, sort of like what we're talking about with writing, uh, whatever that creative expression is. I think we are all wired for that. And yet, okay, so here's my criticism is, you know, Western society, as far as I experience it is there's there's almost like two like cultural values that I think are incongruent one is the the dominance of corporate America like you know I work a job where like I do very little creative expression very little um, but it's a good job to to pay the bills and I think there's a lot of that happening in the world where people end up doing things that really don't in, invoke that creativeness and then that creative energetic flow to say it the same way. And then the, 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 the flow towards community and interdependence. It's like we have this value of independence as, as a, a culture where we, we should be good on our own. Like we should save up enough money so that we can rely on ourselves and, or even like our little families are in these little bubbles. Like I live in a, a neighborhood and it's, it's actually pretty amazing how little connection there is. Uh, there's just, there's little families living sort of independent lives. And, and I think, you know, the criticism there, not that there's anything wrong with it, but the criticism is that it does seem like there's an incongruence of how we are wired to have an energetic flow and yet what is actually happening is sort of like going the opposite direction and creating a whole lot of chaos mm -hmm. which actually i think you sent me something i don't even know if we want to go there because that's you know yeah. kind of scientific out there I don't, I don't even remember the name of the person you shared but something about how like there is there is this like science behind uh how we are different our bodies are different when in deeper more meaningful community did i send you that i don't remember <laughs> um yeah maybe we, we'll, we'll go back to our notes and look it up because you sent me something about that it was really uh really powerful like something about how humans uh so the the universe in general is in entro entropic meaning like just perpetually more chaos oh yeah 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 that's right. That was a, um, yeah, that was, that was weird because that's that guy. Um, I think it was Zach Bush, maybe. Zach Bush. Yeah, Bush. And, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't, you know, I've looked into him and I'm not entirely sure that I agree with everything that he says. He seems like, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, he was talking about how if you study cells in isolation, mm -hmm that they behave uh, differently was, right. than they do when they're in a group. And he was, I think, extrapolating that to 
Sure. If you if you isolate an individual, then they are going to look different than, or they're mm. going to act different than they do in a group. Um, so that's a a funny place to go because I was having I was thinking about this the selfishness stuff again and i was thinking about you know if you're if you're like the um i feel like i'm totally taking your conversation in a different direction but um how if you are the only person in existence let's say that you are the only person on earth Would you be selfish? Like, would, could you, could you be selfish? Like, what would that, you know, what would that look like? And it's, and it made me think of that show alone and how, you know, um, taking, for example, you could just go into a forest and cut down an entire forest and take more than what you actually needed would that be selfish? And like, where does that line draw? But, um, but yeah, just the isolation thing made me think of that. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying, getting back to, to your points about the, the cultural values, the, exactly what you're talking about, that we're beings who are wired for creative expression and experiencing community in some sort, in, in some way, but that the way that the Western world has evolved is that it's very about uh, individualism and more perpetuating these corporate type of values. It's interesting because this is one of the things that comes up a lot in homeschool circles, you know, because, and, and I think traditional schooling is coming around a little bit and obviously in like wealthier places for the most part, but is coming to see this view of like the whole person and not, or, you know, the whole child and not just like, how can we, how can we turn this child into a good, you know, corporate worker, government worker kind of a thing. Economic Um, machine. Economic machine. But it's funny because, you know, one of the the values of most homeschoolers is is freedom and creative expression to give your kids the space to be what they naturally are and to express themselves in a way mm-hmm. that isn't going to be just immediately shut down because they don't fit into the um, because they don't conform to a classroom or you know because they don't conform to a particular appearance or whatever. And so I think that, I don't know, maybe, maybe more and more we're starting to see that the future, like the future of humanity is not the way that we've been going. And I think I can see a little bit of a cultural shift towards, you know, just recognizing that what we've been doing isn't going to be the way forward, you know, um, whether it's education or work or whatever, that we need to allow humans to do what they do so well, which is this 
creative expression. You know, that's what we can offer that is that is far and above anything that you can find in in other animals. And that's what's allowed us to get to this place in with technology and medicine and everything is people's ability to be to be creative and to pursue those their the expressions of that like natural pattern of, of energy. And I think so much of what we do now, we try to funnel that pat those patterns of energy into like a particular way of being. And people are now like fighting against that more and more. And it's interesting because, you know, to go back to this word of selfishness, um, it's like, it's such an interesting perspective because, you know, you could be viewed as selfish by, from one perspective, whereas the other perspective would view you as heroic or revolutionary. Yes. And I think the example... The example could apply to what we're talking about here because what's interesting and what I kind of see with this, this uh, at least with like the economic capitalistic mindset is it's very fear-based. So, so we've had all these just tremendous technological breakthroughs in the last 150, 200 years that have revolutionized everything about being a human. And led to population explosion crazy crazy growth of people on this planet and then there becomes i think a a point of fear that okay we have to maintain what we got so rather than like a continuation of innovation not to say that there's not still innovation but there becomes more of this like servitude towards um, the status quo mm-hmm. and that then it becomes less of a creative expression. But, but that, but then the selfishness is like, well, if you choose to step out of that and sort of rebel against it, on one hand, you could be a, a, a revolutionary trailblazer, a hero. On the other hand, you could be selfish because it's pretty, an argument could be made that, this economic system is the, the, the bedrock of our civilization. And mm-hmm. if it goes down, we're all screwed. So you're refusing to participate in that is selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could, and, could be considered that way. I mean, right. And, and that was sort of the revelation that I had for myself um, was that selfish isn't something that you are. Selfish is something right. that someone else calls you in order yeah. to get you to change your behavior. And that it's that 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 point, like when someone calls you selfish, it's because a boundary that you have established for yourself offends them in some ways. And I mean, right, like Elon Musk is a perfect example of what we're talking about. I feel like we've talked about him before, but I mean he's a he's a great example. Like he, in a lot of ways, does not care what people think. He makes Twitter comments that, you know, like shift the stock market, cause like lots of people to lose money, you know, momentarily at least. I mean, but yet on the other hand, so in that, in one sense, it's like, oh my God, he's so selfish. He only cares about himself. But then on the other hand, the fact that he doesn't care 
what other people think allows him to be extremely creative and take risks that other people aren't willing to take. And as a result, he has made leaps and bounds in like, you know, in space travel and, you know, electric cars with, uh, with a Tesla and all this other stuff. And so I think that's, you know, the same thing goes for us is, and that's one of the things that I wanted to, you know, that I've just been sitting with myself is like getting to a point where, because we are, we are inherently selfish. How can you not be? Like I am the most important person in my life. <laughs> like without me, I have no life. So like I am the most important person in my life. I am the center of my world. It's just like a a fact. It doesn't mean that everybody else has to be in service to me, but it is a recognition that I am the center of my world, of my life. And inherently you are selfish. <laughs> um, yeah, but right. that you have to be, you have, you have to be, but mm-hmm. it's not, but you, but you, what makes that a bad thing is like when other people tell us that we are, you know, that word has taken mm-hmm. on a, such a negative connotation. It's like, well, you don't want to be selfish because to be selfish means implies that you don't care about anybody else. But there are times in life when you shouldn't care about what someone else thinks, or you don't need to care about what someone else thinks. And, and that if you do, if you do just like let all of your, if you do just allow your life to solely be in service to, or like not even in service to others, that's not it. But like, if you allow people to just determine everything that you do, you will never allow, give, you know, give rein to those, um, that creative expression. Yeah. That is what you are. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, perfect. Good. The the magical transition here, I think, because, you know, I I mentioned beforehand that like, I've kind of had somewhat of a personal breakthrough and it actually relates to a lot of what you just said. So good, good, good time to, to talk about that. Um, you talk about Elon Musk, right? And how he is this creative revolutionary because why? Because he doesn't care what others think. Okay. And then you mentioned how, you know, to, to get to that place to unlock that energetic congruence, right? So here's here's the breakthrough for me, um, and I'm gonna try to describe it in sort of the magical way that it happened in my life. And I don't know why, but I keep using the word magical. So sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I I think as I as I kind of like shift my lens a little bit away from the like the the traditional spirituality stuff. I don't know. I just like the word magical. Like I think mm-hmm. there is something magical about how the world works, how the universe mm-hmm. works, and call it higher power or call it magic. It doesn't make any difference. So, right. Or energy behaving um, in a way we can't explain. <laughs> right. That's actually probably the right way to say it, but I want to call it magic. <laughs> Go um, for it. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely the energy. But anyway, so, so I, um, I started seeing a therapist. Uh, I've all, I've kind of off and on been in, in and out of therapy for 
um, a lot of my adult life. It's it's been extremely beneficial for my own you know, growth and development. But I went into therapy probably a month or two ago, two months ago, and just you know had some some issues, some things I just really wanted to work through. And around the same time, I had this like big paradigm shift spiritual breakthrough um, about, you know, some of the non-duality stuff that we've talked about. And um, that goes back to that Maslow's hierarchy of needs where I like I kind of mm-hmm. crossed it out, right? And then, uh, so I had that like spiritual breakthrough, right? And then probably like three weeks after that, I have a, what I'd call kind of, kind of a psychological breakthrough like in the therapy, because that spiritual breakthrough had nothing to do with the therapy I was doing, at least right. directly. Yeah. Um, but the the breakthrough is the self-esteem, right? For my my therapy and my psychology is that, you know, I, I, a lot of times I use the word shame. as like, oh, I've always kind of dealt with shame. But as I was like processing it with my therapist, I realized that self-esteem is actually the better way to say it. Because I've had my whole life a really imbalanced self-esteem where like I will get an inflated sense of self where I like I feel like superior to others and then in the next moment I'll get really down mm-hmm. and I'll feel inferior. And it, it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like this has caused such an immense amount of suffering for me. And it, the, the magical part is it that ties in exactly with this spiritual breakthrough is is the belief that this this quote unquote self isn't actually real. So there's like this this almost like penetration of that topsy turvy imbalance to say, but it's not actually real. And in like poking it with that really uh takes away its power and kind of like stops it in its tracks, at least in my own experience. And so it, it, it helped me. The funny part is like, so I, I had this, this thought of like, Oh, like, you know, cross all this stuff out in Maslow's hierarchy yeah. kind of as a joke, but like a little serious. And then I'm like, and then I have this discovery of like, Oh wait, like I, I get what this is all about. And that's where, where this realization is like, okay. So finding like a congruence, a balance, a harmony in the self-esteem that says my self-esteem is, is neutral. Mm-hmm. I feel about myself the same period, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel bad. I'm mm-hmm. just neutral. <laughs> and then I think that is what unlocks. Cause it, again, the hierarchy, right? You, mm-hmm. you sort of move up, so to speak. I, I know people, criticize that in some respects, but how it originally was presented. And so once you unlock that congruence with self-esteem, that is when I think you open up the door that says, well, myself is perfectly secure, no problems, whatever happens. So then I think there's almost this natural magnetism towards that self-actualization, that the energetic congruence of doing doing what what you are whatever mm-hmm. it is that that is your energetic expression so elon musk is a good example he's not inflated or deflated by others he's just 
seemingly pretty solid. Now, I don't know if, if you hear about his personal life, I don't know if I would say <laughs> he's balanced. But again, mm-hmm. using that example is like he is probably he probably has some level of balance around that and therefore can exercise that creativity a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like the way that you explained that is really well said, getting to that neutrality point, because that was, I think that was what I was trying to say, but not saying very well in my um, in my class the other night when it came to value. That mm, yeah. I, I wasn't saying, I mean, I, w- I was saying like I, I don't see myself as having any value, which they were just like, what do you mean? Like, how can you say that? That was very like, they didn't Mm -hmm. like that anyone would say I don't have value. And they were very, you know, they were very adamant that they felt like people did have value. But I think what you're saying is so much better that, and, and what I was, yeah, I feel like you're articulating what I, what I feel is that it's neutral. Like it's a non- it's a non-issue anymore. It's not. And, mm-hmm. and I think this too is another place where the path for self-help and this way of being kind of diverges a little bit because self-help will say, will sort of a lot of that stuff sort of points to like an inflated sense of self, right? That you have to feel mm-hmm. amazing and high vibe and all this stuff like all the time. And this is much more of like, no, that self that is wanting to be the high, you know, the really high highs and the really low lows, like, isn't even, isn't even real. It's just this collection of ideas, this drama pattern of drama that you've gotten caught up in when it's nothing about it is, is real. And to be in that, in that very neutral place, which I think other people might refer to as being centered, right? Um, mm. Even yeah. though I think that has lost its meaning, perhaps. But yeah, to be in that place of neutrality, it's in a way it's kind of boring because it's like boring to the ego because you have lost the drama mm. of the ups and downs. But on the other yeah. hand, it also is incredibly empowering isn't the right word, but it just has this thing where like, yeah, things can come at you and it's not going to affect how you feel about yourself. It just... You become yeah, like, I mean, you the word that, I would use. Parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word I would. Yeah, the word I would use is, is liberated. Yeah. And I, and I I I I cringe a little bit when I say that because it's used in spiritual circles so much. Like ah, liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because so I think it's misused because it can be used as like an ego achievement sort of right, thing yeah. or something that the ego can can really like glorify in which is not right, but the liberation, liberation is a good way to describe in my own uh, experience is it's like a letting go. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, like there's nothing I have to do to achieve a higher sense of self-value or self-esteem or self-worth. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it is, it is fixed. That's, and you know, we talk about neutrality or balanced or centered and that's all fine, but maybe even look at it as fixed like literally there is nothing that can do anything to change uh this sense of self because because and that's where i think it's helpful to really inquire into it to to explore and to discover what is that self because the more we can see it's not something that's solid 
It's right. something that's very transient and, and mm-hmm. kind of like a, a patterns of energy that congeal to make a, a sense of the self. And I think the more you can see that, the more it becomes clear that it, it, there, even evaluating it as, as high or low is sort of silly. So stepping into that, like almost like, almost like a non-evaluation. <laughs> so neutrality, yeah. non-evaluation to say, eh, no thoughts, right? Which is actually sort of like what you said. So it, it's interesting. You could take both perspectives and say, well, it's just not something I even think about at all. Or like there's, there's a pure neutrality to it. And maybe mm-hmm. the neutrality is easier to communicate and convey to others. But understanding that like there is more of that, like just like, I just don't even think about it because it's, it is what it is sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like we talked about in our last podcast, the nothing appearing is everything and everything appearing is nothing. I feel like it's very yeah. close to that, that there mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of a, it, at one, at one hand, it can, it can feel very nihilistic to be in this, in this space. But on the other hand, like when you're nothing, you can be everything. Like nothing is everything. Everything is nothing. And, and you just have to like, like transitioning that is, you know, you got to kind of like massage that out for yourself and time will help mm-hmm. do that for you. But the, and I think just the dropping of the labels, you know, recognizing how much mm-hmm. of this, how much of this conversation around value and being enough and self-esteem have we internalized without even stopping to ask ourselves, what is this? You know, people talk about like, oh, am I enough? All these women are like, oh, I feel like I'm not good enough. I'll never be enough. And it's like, you're not a fucking commodity. Like you're not something that is on, that is up on the chopping block, like to be bought or sold. Stop talking in terms of enough. Enough of what? Oh my God. That's another topic that just like riles me up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And value is another one of those things where it's like, you're not a piece of money. Like, mm-hmm. it, Stop acting as though your value has anything to do with what other people say about you. Just drop the label completely. And I don't know. I mean, I, easy for me to see from this, from this part, from where I am now. I definitely could not have said this a couple of years ago. Um, so mm-hmm. take that for what it is. But we are running out of time. And um, yeah, like you said earlier, we're going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus and just reevaluating where we are, where the podcast is, where things stand, what we're um, looking to uh, for moving forward. And so for all of you listening out there, thank you so much for being part of this journey with us and feel free to drop us a line at from believing to being at gmail.com. And we'll be checking back with you um, in a month or two. All right. Take care, everybody.